Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2012 film The Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard, produced by Joss Whedon, and starring Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Anna Hutchinson, and Fran Kranz. In this film, a group of college kids run into some trouble while staying staying at a cabin in the woods. If you're new to the show, Brian and I will have a spoiler-free discussion up front, then we'll take a quick break and dive into the plot, hit some spoilers, and get into our review. Brian, had it been a while since you'd seen this one? It had been a while. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but it's been a few years for sure. Definitely five years at least. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's similar. But I want to say more three to four. I know it was like streaming on Hulu a while ago, and now it's like uh, on Tubi for free, which I was all surprised to see. Oh, nice. Did you, you end up renting it? I think I rented it, but I honestly don't even remember now. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, do you remember where you saw this for the first time? Was it in theaters or like at home? Boy, that's a good question too. I think I saw it at home. Oh, okay. Interesting. Cause I, I remember going to the theaters and I feel like you would have been in Chicago in 2012, right? I left in August of 2012. I can't remember oh. what date this was released. Maybe oh, I did okay. see it in theaters. Yeah. I think a group of us went and, uh, yeah, you know, it has like so much kind of star and power and weight behind it. Right. That the, it had a pretty big buzz when it came out. And yeah, I, I remember this just kind of being, uh, kind of like kind of a big deal and like, uh, yeah, a, a big, like kind of turn on the genre of the horror genre. Uh, do, do you remember it like being a pretty big game changer for you? I do remember it being a pretty big deal and a mind blowing movie. And I'm also mind blown that maybe we saw this movie together. One of the <laughs> rare <a> chance. Yeah. <laughs> mutual viewings. Yeah. Uh, was, Elliot, I remember like our friend Elliot kind of coordinated a viewing party. Yeah, I was probably year. there, man. Yeah. So there's a chance we saw this together for the first time. Yeah. Cool. Good. Must um, have been memorable. Hey, Patreon shout outs too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Before we go too far, Leanne, Ryan, Zai, Alex W., and Matthew B. And this was a request by El Schwab House from our Discord server. Ah, oh, cool. Awesome. Well, great. Yeah. Great to have uh, new Patreon members, and thanks for the recommendation yeah i feel like we've been sitting on this one for a while uh glad to finally like, get around to it it's a, it's a nice fun one to watch too right after the the holidays and stuff yeah right and right after we kind of <laughs> dredged <laughs> through the uh, yeah. grimness of the poughkeepsie tapes yeah even like amityville horror like this is a, a nice kind of like palate cleanser right in the boredom of amityville horror <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see how, how well this one does compared to it really um but yeah, t- talking about the people behind this film, uh, you know, this was like peak time for Drew Goddard. I think he was coming off of Cloverfield. Um, he had uh, he would go on to, like write World War Z and The Martian. But this is his directorial debut. Huge on the TV side, he had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Lost, Alias, Daredevil. Uh, have you seen any of those shows? No, I never really got into any of those shows. I think he even created the Daredevil TV series. Ah, okay. Honestly, I can't say I've seen a single episode of any of those shows. Really? Even Lost? You never got into that one? Even Lost. I I probably saw bits and pieces of it. I don't think I ever saw a full episode. Sure. People would describe it, and I was just like, that sounds like the (laughs) dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I think I saw a few seasons, and then I heard all about like how disappointing the end was, and it's like, yeah, you never want to go back and watch it then or put in the time uh, yeah i feel like i've heard of people who just like spent so much time watching it and we're just like yeah i don't know if i'd even recommend it yeah 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 exactly um but i i do feel like lost was like one of the biggest shows at this time or like yeah in the, in the 2010s or whatever um, oh yeah in buffy the vampire slayer was obviously a big show that was that was the re that was did you ever watch the tv show of that one you never saw that one right buffy the tv show yeah no <laughs> i never shows. did Sarah Michelle Gellar was in the movie, not the TV show, right? Sarah Michelle Gellar was in the TV show. Oh, who was yeah. in the movie? I cannot remember the actress's name. Damn, okay. It's not necessarily a really big name from what yeah. I remember. Okay. You know, I, w- I wonder if that's a movie we would ever cover. Is that That's like horror Jason, isn't it? Yeah, sure, we could cover that movie. Yeah, I'd be interested in going back to that. That and like Teen Wolf, like some... 
Classic oh, high school. Oh, Teen Wolf would be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good throwbacks. Um, but yeah, I feel like this guy was a pretty big dude on, on the TV front, at least for that time period. And then Josh Sweden, uh, yeah, who's also part of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, but like after this, he'd go on to do the Avengers as well, which was like a huge Marvel f- thing. Um, are you a fan of his at all? Um, you know, I'll go ahead and say yeah, because I mean, I'm not a huge Marvel fan, but the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron... They were good, you know. It, those movies are good. They're not bad movies. They're just, you know, some of them are kind of just mass appeal. But yeah, I felt like those were good movies. Um, I agree. I think some of those early ones were, were good before it got like too repetitive and, and heavy. Like uh, those were those were like the, the good days for Marvel. Right. It got repetitive, and they just like honed into this very specific tone that became kind of monotonous. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, Joss Whedon created Buffy and directed every single episode. And Damn. created Angel. Right, right. Um, and which one of them, uh, is it Josh who did, like, uh, Firefly uh, and Serenity? Yeah, I think Josh created Firefly, too. Okay, you ever watched that show? Nope. Ah, uh, that was a good, like, sci-fi kind of western. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. Yeah. Uh, cast is, like, uh, I, I would say, like, now... Uh, looking back at like, I, I think Chris, Chris, Chris Hemsworth is probably the biggest name here. What, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. And he would go on to be in the like Avengers movies. Exactly. So yeah, there's a lot like, of random little overlap here. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, it's crazy to imagine that Thor was in this film, like just a year before he became Thor, I guess. Right. Um, and, and then, uh, the two, uh, guys who work in the office, they were, uh, recognizable, right? Yeah, I mean Bradley Woodford, especially for me, from Billy Madison as the, the character bad Eric. <laughs> yeah, Eric. <laughs> uh, he was also yeah. in West Wing, so. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, fans of that show will recognize him. Right. Yeah, great actor, and cool to see him like in in these like comedic roles too. He pulls it off really well. He's a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Dude, yeah, Josh Sweden pretty... is a is a jerk. Did you read up on this? Um, I've heard rumors. Is it something to do with what he said on Twitter or something? He, no, like people he've worked with, he's worked with have been like, he's emotionally abusive and cruel Mm. and just mean and not a good person. Oh man. It's an interesting scenario in that sometimes you hear rumblings about that, but other people are like, no, he's fine. And it seems like there's like so many people (laughs) who've worked with him who are like, yes, I corroborate that. Yes, he is a horrible Uh, one. Like, it's one of the unique times where it seems almost unanimous <laughs> that people are like, yeah, he's an ass. No one's like stepping up to defend him at all. No, Just, it doesn't yeah, sound yeah. like it. Yeah. Well, yeah, he knows who he is, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I saw, I think one of his uh, ex-wives was just saying like, um, he's like nothing like what he preaches or something. He's, he's kind of a terrible person. Right. He doesn't practice what he preaches. Right. Right. Yeah. No, nah, yeah, I, I believe it. I kind of assume that, assume that about most people in Hollywood. Right. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, like how, how much of a jerk are we talking like compared to like two Midwestern guys hanging out here doing a podcast or like relative to like Hollywood people? We're pretty emotionally abusive to each other. That's true. Off, <laughs> offset. Yeah. See our whole podcast history. And, 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 uh, I think honestly, dude, we are so nice to each other compared to most two dudes <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, I know. I know. We got to mean up somehow. I, think, I know. I think, well, I think we're missing that. I think the last two episodes were our, that was our biggest conflict period. And now <laughs> <laughs> I know now, now we're, yeah, that's, you felt that rough patch who just came out of. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was a little emotional. It was. Yeah. It's been a rough few weeks. Um, I think outside of the cast, the other big name is Peter Deming, cinematographer here who was also a cinematographer for like evil dead Two, two of the screen movies, drag me to hell, Mulholland drive, um, I don't know if I could recognize his work, but kind of cool to see his name attached to this. Uh, did, did you recognize anything of his? Yeah, cool catch. No, I didn't. I didn't even realize this was him, though I've, I'm familiar with the name just from cinematography research and stuff, so that's cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a name you've dropped in one of our earlier episodes. Yeah, maybe I have. Yeah. Um, Budget-wise, I was actually surprised. So it had a $30 million budget, and it only made $66.5 million at the box office so it's a 2x return which i yeah i, I, I I'm, I'm surprised this wasn't like a bigger success 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could have been if that budget wasn't so high. I mean, I guess I get it, having watched the movie, but yeah, that's a high budget for a random horror film in the early two thousand, early twenty tens. Yeah, like so. What else was coming out around then? Like uh, Conjuring stuff, Insidious era, right? Um, Paranormal activities, even the Conjuring yeah. movies. They weren't that expensive. Yeah, you're right. I feel like they were like less than ten. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I feel like when you when you watch it though, you get a sense of like the budget behind it. It's like there's a lot of production here. There's a few specific scenes that I'm sure cost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so yeah, m- maybe you're right. Maybe the box office is decent, but it just it was a very expensive film to make. Uh, yeah, but pretty highly rated, ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for and won a bunch of awards, including Fangoria Awards and the Saturn Award. Um, what else? I think the script was written in three days, and it sounds like it was an attempt to maybe call out like what's wrong with horror films. Yeah, I have a Joss Whedon quote about that. He says, It's a serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification slash identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are kids acting like idiots, the devolution, de-evolution or devolution of the horror movie into torture porn and into a long series of sadistic sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. So, yeah, this is coming off of Saw movies like every year during the aughts and Hostel and stuff like that. And the French New Wave, or not French New Wave, uh, New French Extremity. New French, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, So at this point, do you feel like uh, horror movies were taking themselves too seriously and this is like one of the first films to kind of uh, push back make it like really self-aware almost like be a satire in horror films and then like we saw that trend uh, progress more in, in the following years I don't know I don't th- I think there were other ones that were there they just weren't as big at the box office and maybe not as popular with the masses you know there's Shaun mm-hmm. of the Dead and Zombieland and yeah I want to say even Tucker and Dale vs. Evil came out around this time too okay got it uh, but I'm not so, sure yeah so there was already kind of like a bleeding happening of horror into comedy and uh, t- horror taking itself less seriously trying to have more fun with it uh i just think like the whole slasher revival that we saw happen like in the past decade a lot of it is like making fun of old school slashers at the same time which you know yeah i, I guess scream was doing that too to some extent right like 10 right. years uh, yeah 15 years before this film yeah so. i mean this is very similar to scream in that they're both meta commentaries on horror movies critiquing the things that horror movies do all the time right and providing commentary on that but then also subscribing to those rules and the conventions as well sure and playing on them yeah 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 no it's it's cool and uh yeah i think scream's a great example of how that works um we'll be curious to see if you think this one works it's interesting you mentioned on the dead because i feel like that's more of a um you wouldn't call that like a a parody would you because it's kind of like taking a known plot i yeah do you think it's similar in structure to this yeah that's really interesting i feel like boy i i feel like Shaun of the dead is a comedy but also like a sincere zombie movie at the same time they're not mm. necessarily they're spoofing it a little bit yeah. I, I'd call it almost more of a spoof, but it's also sincere. Yeah, I wonder if we discussed that in the Shaun of the Dead episode, like trying to nail down a yeah, the genre, genre for that more specific than horror comedy. But right. it it's not. I wouldn't call it meta because it's not like being aware of the zombie tropes yet still falling into all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does a little bit, but that's not really its bread and butter. I, I think it functions as an authentic zombie movie while also having comedic yeah, zombie humor in there as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. It kind of blends both of those really well. Yeah, right. Yeah, do it'd be fe- interesting to think more about that. Do you feel like this one uh, is like an original piece or does it feel like it's spoofing? I, I'm like, I feel like this takes the plot of Evil Dead, right? And just like rams uh new stuff into it or, or more like aware or a satire on that but what, what do you think yeah it does i mean it's it is very similar to evil dead 
But it also borrows a little bit from movies like Friday the 13th and Cabin in the Woods. Or not Cabin in the Woods, Cabin <laughs> Fever. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Which Cabin... Other, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, even the title, Cabin in the Woods, is almost like a subgenre yeah. of, of movies. Um, yeah, sure. I'd yeah, say Evil Dead is certainly the one it borrows from the most. Right, yeah, I feel like almost, uh, like, plot, like, for, like, yeah, at least the first half, I feel like it kind of mm-hmm. follows that pattern. Yeah. Uh, but cool, any other background you want to hit on? There isn't. Should I go ahead and hit the Ohio Connection? Let's hear it. All right. Our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, you've got to get to Jukebox. Great food, great drinks. And Alex says... The Cabin in the Woods is a horror comedy film about a group of college students who retreat to a remote forest cabin where they fall victim to a variety of monsters. On the way to the cabin, the kids stop at a remote roadside gas station and are greeted by a creepy old man, later identified as Mordecai, who provides eerie and ominous warnings about the road ahead. Mordecai is portrayed by longtime film and TV actor Tim Dezarn. His film credits include Spider-Man, Fight Club, Live Free or Die Hard, and Untraceable. He also appeared in several TV series, including Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, NYPD Blue, Mad Men, Lost, Deadwood, The Shield, Quantum Leap, Seventh Heaven, and Sons of Anarchy. Tim Desarm was born and raised in Anderson Township, a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, wow. Nice. Southwest Ohio connection. Yeah. We even got We even got some overlap again with the, the Lost TV series and... Uh, oh Whedon. yeah, is it Whedon or Drew Goddard that wrote for Lost? Uh, oh, uh, I think it was uh, Drew Goddard who wrote. Yeah, for Lost. it was Drew Goddard. Yeah. yeah, and so this guy was also in Lost. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Nice, good connection. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Yep. Um, well, cool. Anything else before we uh, get into the plot? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, hey, before we do, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I just want to grab a quick glass of water. Sure. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Hey, sorry about that, man. I'm back. Okay, yeah. You you, all hydrated and everything? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry it took a little bit longer than I thought, you know, I was walking back up the stairs and I, I, I saw that, uh, wolf head that I hang on my wall and it was giving me this sexy look, so, got a little, uh, temporarily distracted, then I had to kind of take a shower afterwards, so, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a real tongue in there and everything, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, they make those things pretty realistic, so it's crazy. <laughs> Still a lot moist. Of fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so this movie starts off showing two office workers, Gary and Steve. They're making small talk about life as they're on their way to do some kind of annual task that we're led to believe is pretty important, and then the title suddenly kicks in with some dramatic horror music. Um, I, I love the opening of this film because it's like so like nonchalant, and then suddenly like it kicks in, and it kind of gives you a sense of like what's coming. Like, oh, this is a movie that's kind of just like playing with expectations and atmospheres. Uh, what did what you think of this? Yeah, I really like it. It's just like humorous water cooler talk, and then yeah. <laughs> audio sting and like sounds of women screaming as Cabin in the Woods shows on the title screen. So yeah, yeah, they do that a lot. Like hard cuts between, not even a cut necessarily. Like hard transitions from something scary to something humorous. It's kind right. of us. They do that throughout the film. Yeah, and it, you know, I, I feel like throughout the film, the humor is brought uh, a lot by those two office guys, and it's it's almost like. Um, like an office, uh, a workplace sit- sitcom or comedy or something, I feel like in like the negotiations, and that's like driving a lot of the humor in this movie. Yeah, I wanted to say they are the comedic relief, but then also Marty, a character in the other yeah. story, is comedic relief too. So it is really interesting. They That's true. They reap comedy from two different setups. It's, yeah, like you said, traditional office-style t- humor, and then... Yeah. Yeah, the comedic character and a story that's otherwise serious who's kind of like calling out the mistakes the gang is making. So. Yeah, n- nice way to balance uh, the comedy on both ends. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, so, so then we jump to our main character, Dana. She is tagging along with her roommate, Jules, and Jules's boyfriend, Kurt. 
and a guy named Holden that they've just met and their pothead friend that you just mentioned, Marty. And the five of them are headed to a cabin that is owned by one of Kurt's cousins, which is free for the weekend and it happens to be in the woods. On the way there, they face off with the gas attendant that you mentioned from the Ohio Connection, uh, whose name is later known to be Mordecai, and he warns them that dangers lie ahead. Uh, what did you think of the character setup of all these uh, individuals? Um, I felt like they were kind of like one note, but maybe purposefully, but what, yeah, what did you think? They're a little bit one note, but but again, not at the same time. And And they play on that later, like Kurt is... You want to believe he's like alpha male jock, but he's also smart. You know, he knows a he recommends some book to our main character that's like a deep cut that not everybody knows knows about. And yeah, he tells her like he'll think you're insightful and you have no pants. And like the the yeah. dialogue from all of them is really zippy mm-hmm. and clever. So I think it's pointing towards their archetypes. But at the same time, everyone seems on the same okay. level to an extent. So you think uh, it is like a little, like slightly more sophisticated or nuanced than like just like a typical horror film character? I do. Yeah, they're not paper thin cardboard cutouts. But what yeah. did you think? Uh, I agree. Like, yeah, they they do have one lines here and there. The one character, like, so I feel like Marty, like we're introduced to him as like this uh, pothead, weed smoking guy, right? And, uh, he kind of, and that, that is him. I mean, you're right. He's like funny later on and stuff or like throughout he's the comedic relief. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know emotionally if we get much more from him or from Holden, um, who I feel like doesn't have a line for like a half hour or something. Right. Yeah. Kinda... I mean, Marty's perhaps the most stereotypical in his potheadness, but yeah. he also converts his bong into what looks like a coffee mug, so he demonstrates some <laughs> responsibility. And he That's stands true. up to Mordecai when he is rude to uh, yeah. one of the ladies, which isn't a very, like, you know, pothead archetype thing to do, right? Yeah. Normally he'd be, like, slinking into the background. Yeah, yeah, good call. And I think later as the viewer, like, uh, he kind of is the viewer's eye and, like, kind of calling people out on, like, what they're doing and stuff. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a good point. Okay, yeah, so maybe these characters, those of it, a little bit more to them than meets the eye. Um, so as this group settles into the cabin, we keep cutting back to our opening characters, Gary and Steve, who are in this office facility type thing, and they're watching these college kids at the cabin through these hidden cameras and are manipulating the environment by pumping gas into the cabin and like making this tunnel collapse to trap the kids in there. Um, and uh, they're doing all this to help lower the college kids uh, guard. And um, this leads to Jules ultimately agreeing to the stare to make out with the head of this uh, wolf that's hanging out on the wall, which she does and puts on a great show doing that. Suddenly a secret cellar door opens up in the middle of the cabin and the group of college kids goes down to investigate and they find a bunch of random creepy objects down there. One of the objects is a diary which Dana reads and uh, there's some Latin phrases from it that she reads and unbeknownst to the group this causes zombies to pop out of the group, uh, prop out of the ground outside of the cabin. Uh, so that, that's similar to like Evil Dead so far, right? That's exactly how that movie goes. Very similar to Evil Dead, and Marty has kind of a meta line here where he's like, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Yeah. <laughs> and no one I, listens. Yeah. yeah. I just learned that there's a term for this called breaking the third wall. Oh. I don't fully understand the concept yet, so I'll try to speak on it like I know what I'm talking about, but yeah, it's not looking at the camera and talking to the audience, right? That's breaking the fourth wall. Right. But it's like a little bit of a hint of a knowledge of like a larger entity. You know what? I don't know how to say it. Like it's kind of a reference to being in a movie, but not directly. Yeah. Is it like like he could have said it? He could have said that anyway, but yeah. Is it like a self-awareness that you are in a movie or you're a character in a movie? It's essentially just a certain self-awareness without okay. explicably saying, like, this is a movie or looking at the audience and addressing sure. them. Yeah, 
that's really cool, man. Because uh, I feel like this movie plays on that line a lot, where sometimes you're, the characters are talking in a way where like they're voicing like uh, yeah, almost. I mean, you have one group of people who are like watching these people and like manipulating these characters, and so it's almost like they're the viewers, or directors, or people behind a screen um, who are like creating a movie or something. So I, I think this movie kind of like does that really well of going back and forth between characters who are grounded in the movie and those who are speaking to it, maybe from like a higher level. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a few layers there too. We can talk about it more in the review. Yeah, sure. So after this, the murders begin. Uh, Jules and Kurt are getting romantic in the woods when Jules is suddenly decapitated by a huge zombie that pops out. Uh, Marty gets attacked and dragged into a hole. Dana, Kurt, and Holden, they try to escape the cabin, but they find that this tunnel has collapsed and they can't get uh, through it to escape the cabin. So Kurt tries to use a motorbike to jump over this big ravine, but he ends up running into an invisible wall and is killed. Holden and Dana try to drive back to the cabin, but on the way, a zombie who's been hiding in the RV stabs and kills Holden from the back seat, and the RV with Dana in it crashes into the lake. Uh, what did you think of all these attacks and kills? I thought they were all really cool. Um, there's a scene where the zombies are kind of emerging from the ground. This is really subtle, and maybe it didn't get anybody else. And then they're kind of like making out on the ground. Yeah. And her her hand is like, they show it right next to the dirt. And you're really waiting for something to come up out of the ground and grab her hand. But instead, a it's, knife comes down onto her hand. Yeah. And it's just like a really cool subversion yeah. of expectations in a really like minuscule focused way. But it was enough to be like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I appreciate the finer touches that this movie puts on things like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, and it's like kind of some shocking brutality, like the stab through the hand, the uh, the beheading, the the weapon that he's using. That where it's like a what is that? It's like something on a chain that like goes have, and gets stuck in your back. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. It's almost like a mace on a chain. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty painful. So yeah, I, I mean, this is this like kind of. I think you're right. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It surprises you and shocks you a little bit with the the violence. Yeah, and I think we maybe we're gonna get to it but there is also a scene in here where once it's confirmed that they have invoked this like zombie redneck torture family and the horror starts to happen you see these zombies emerge from the ground they cut straight from that horrible moment to the office environment going we have a winner where it's revealed that whoever bet on the zombie redneck torture family of the many possibilities (laughs) <laughs> one one the betting that. pool yeah yeah the betting pool <laughs> while all the score is happening is hilarious because uh, yeah like uh, then he's like describing to one of the people who lost the bet like why that type of zombie is different than the other type of zombie they have like this whole whiteboard of like different characters and then uh, one of the guys really wanted a merman to come but hadn't come so yeah it is really funny to be going back and forth between these uh, two sequences the whiteboard is fun. I paused it on that, and they, some of the things said sexy witches, deadites, the scarecrow folk, dismemberment goblins, and <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Damn, I wonder what that was. Yeah, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Um, what'd you think, though? Like, I, I agree with everything, but I, I thought the zombies, the work on them was a little shoddy. Like, we didn't get, uh, they, they didn't stand out, like, in terms of, like, great visual design or anything, but what, what did you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, they didn't really grab my imagination, but they they fit the bill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think compared to like what we see later, like I thought these are kind of like underdeveloped a little bit. Gotcha. Sure. But um, yeah. So we realize that Gary and Steve are watching all of this, and and that um, yeah, people are making bets and office politics are going on, and we start to learn that this type of work is being done in different countries all over the world, and it's some kind of ritual. Um, and so like there's this competitive angle where this is America's version of it. They're competing against Japan or was it? Yeah, I think it was, was it Japan or Korea? Kyoto. You're getting the K K from Kyoto. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So Japan, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and that's like a whole different scenario where there it's, it's like more J horror where like they're a bunch of kids, like school kids in a room and like a zombie, like, or not a zombie, but like some kind of ghost. It's like a Samara from the ring type ghost (laughs) or Samara. Yeah, so we're seeing footage of that, which is kind of fun. Right. Um, 
so yeah a, a lot of interesting dynamics there um but at the moment gary and steve they're pretty happy with themselves because all the characters have been killed except for dana which we learn is okay according to the rules it's okay to have like the final girl left or whatever but then the phone suddenly rings while everyone's celebrating and they get a call from uh their boss who's known as the director that the job isn't done yet and on the screen we see marty reappear who we thought was killed earlier and he helps dana escape another zombie attack and the two of them jump into this hole that's in the ground and it, it leads them to the secret underground elevator they take this elevator and it passes by these dark rooms uh that are filled with different ghosts monsters zombies basically everything out of like a horror film giant snakes um yeah just a bunch of really scary shit and they realize that this whole attack has been kind of controlled by someone and that when she read the book in the basement she was basically picking which monster was going to attack them i i thought yeah i mean i think this is a part of the film that like kind of catches everyone by surprise right yeah i mean on your first viewing this really blows your mind yeah like seeing all these monsters being kept in in these underground rooms yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah, and I think or this you is think like, maybe um, there's an off chance that you think it's the dumbest thing in the world, but I think most people enjoy yeah, this movie. <laughs> I agree. I think this is like the shit moment, and I think this is where the big budget comes into play because these monsters are like pretty well done, like, uh, and they're all like pretty creepy and unique from one another. It's uh, it's rare to see so many different monsters in a film like this. Yeah, and I couldn't decide how much of it was CG and how much of it was practical effects. There's definitely yeah. scenes where you're like, okay, that's a lot of CG. Mm -hmm. But the things they're doing in the scene, it's like, okay, well, you can't really do that right. without CG. You just like had the most chaos in the world happen at one time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That had to have been something. Right. Yeah. Uh, but so, for the yeah. most part, everything looks really cool. I think so, too. Yeah, these are pretty creative monsters. Um, so Dana and Marty get to the ground floor of this office compound, and uh, security is on the way to hunt them down and take them in. So they release all the monsters from all those cages, and it. I, lo I love this uh, setting because like they're hiding. Uh, these elevator doors are opening, and these monsters are just like going nuts and like coming out and killing a bunch of security guards. Or so each time the elevator door uh, dings, like it's another like flood of monsters. Uh, I, th I thought that was a really cool sequence. What, what did you think? It's an awesome sequence. Really cool. Totally gory. Yeah. Chaotic. Really yeah. fun. Just like havoc breaking out. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the office now is under attack. Um, you know, monsters are everywhere and just like terrorizing everyone and killing people. Steve gets killed by the merman. Uh, Gary runs into Dana in a hallway ac and accidentally gets stabbed to death. Uh, Dana and Marty are running and they find themselves in this room that kind of looks like an old temple or something. And there they meet the director who is run or who's played by Sigourney Weaver, which, yeah. Do you remember like kind of seeing this for the first time and that being a big surprise? I was surprised this time. I forgot that she was in this Sigourney <laughs> yeah. Weaver. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney. Right. It's not Sigourney. <laughs> carry you out of here on a sigourney <laughs> people hear you mispronounce that no. sigourney weaver so she tells them that this blood sacrifice is a requirement to keep the gods of the old world appeased otherwise these gods are going to rise up and destroy humanity the director tells dana and marty or she tells dana that marty must die otherwise the whole world's going to end dana considers it and uh, temporarily kind of points a gun at um marty to it seems like she wants she's about to kill him but she gets interrupted when she's attacked by wolfman um marty battles with the director but um one of the zombies from the cabin in the woods uh emerges and kills the director and, and they both die so then marty and dana uh are left marty kills off the wolfman and the two of them decide it's better to let the world end than make a human sacrifice to preserve humanity so the movie ends with uh, them taking a last toke um, and then a giant hand com coming through the ground and indicating that the gods are old gods are rising and the world's about to end uh, yep. so yeah I think when people talk about this being a mind blowing or crazy film it's really that third act isn't it yeah the third I mean the third act is pretty mind blowing but you also get revealed pretty quickly that there are people pushing the buttons behind the scenes to make this cabin in the woods set up for them. I forgot about that element of the movie that you learn pretty quickly that something's up. Like 
they drive away from their dorm and you see a guy on the roof like the eagle has left the nest into a walkie-talkie. When they drive to the cabin, you see a bird try to follow along with their car and then it hits some sort of force field wall. Yeah. So you know pretty quickly that something is up. But it's still like all the more mind-blowing along the way as you learn about it and learn the different things that they're doing. Even towards the end, you know they're trying to make it into a stereotypical horror scenario, but then in that room they're in with uh, the gurney. Sigourney. Yeah. They show like these uh, kind of... and. Statues? What do you call this? It's like they're like reverse statues on the wall, like edges. Yeah, like an yeah. empty space, a void shaped like a person to be filled with their blood when they die. Yeah, and it's like the five archetypes are the virgin, the fool, the athlete, the scholar, and the, the whore. whore. I think. Yeah. yeah. So is revealing, hey, we've got to do it this way. This is the ritual that the ancients want. We have to set it up at a, at a specific specific scenarios. And that's just further commentary. And they do little hints of that throughout. You could view the ancients as us, like horror movie audiences. Exactly, right. Uh, or you could view like the directors and the the like texts that are making sure everything goes smoothly is like a film crew. The a film crew, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like there's some part where they say in the office setting, like, okay, let's see some boobies. They're thinking someone's gonna like take off their shirt. And somebody else is like, does it really matter? And he says, We're not the only ones watching. Gotta keep the customer satisfied. Do you understand what's at stake here? So yeah, that could definitely be like a film crew talking about the old gods or the, the customer, like right, the yeah. audience. And I also wondered if like keeping the ancients happy could like be, maybe this is a leap, but like keep keeping the ancient demons at bay might be like horror is how we keep our demons at bay. Or like our ancient desires for some like bloodletting or sex oh, to be encapsulated in a horror movie and in our art keeps those demons at bay from our real life because we get to have that catharsis in a, Through a simulated an environment where there are yeah. no real, yeah, right, right, like a simulation yeah, where there are yeah. no real world implications. I mean, you could say that for sure, right? Like, I mean, video games, movies and stuff, they kind of play on fantasies of things like, yeah, that, you know, you, you want to see or like you, you want to be able to do or something, but you can't. Right. So, yeah, yeah th- that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think that this is layered in that sense where um, it is, uh, I, I guess it is that third wall or whatever, but I think it is calling out the audiences and the people who make these movies. And maybe like, yeah, even thinking about their inspiration uh, on why they made this film is, you know, commenting on where the film industry is at that time or where like the horror genre or like slasher films are and how stale they were getting. And like maybe the film crew or like you know, the people working in the office represent like that older old world mentality of like we got to keep it stick to, stuck to this formula uh, but you have these characters now who are becoming self-aware and making this decision not to keep that weight going uh, and then right. pissing off audiences yeah and maybe even like a philosophical wrestling with how are these torture porn movies so popular like is the world are people that evil or do they need right. a means to, to live out these things in a safe environment Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. On There's a point in the movie where they say something like, "We make this offering as like in request for your like re- eternal slumber or something like that to keep you at peace in your eternal slumber." And that yeah. stuff like that re- really makes me think like, okay, you're trying to keep this stuff at bay, or or when everyone gets excited about seeing boobs in the lab, somebody <laughs> yells out, "Your basic human needs disgust me." <laughs> So I just was wondering if it was pointing towards like our most basic urges and and trying to keep them at bay. Yeah, as people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I I think you're right. I mean, there's something really fucked up about horror films and like why we watch this and our horror movie club here. 
um, that we kind of like dance around a little bit. But yeah, I, I think that, that all seems like a fair guess of, of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, to, to your other point, though, about like how we kind of know the whole time that like, uh, you know, something um, more sinister is at foot here. And we know like there's this group that's like watching them and kind of like creating the scenario. Do you feel like that's an effective approach in this film versus uh, something more like would you have preferred maybe something like a, a barbarian type approach where like um you don't, don't spoil know barbarian for anybody yeah <laughs> but just just like the thing like what if we didn't know that uh these guys were there in the beginning and maybe like halfway through the film suddenly we figure out like oh shit there are these people in like this other room somewhere who have been like manipulating this whole scenario do you think that might have been more interesting or, or more like of a twist that's a really interesting question, and I'm not sure. I think it would have given you a bit more of an oh shit moment, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you kind of have to foreshadow things. If you're going to give somebody a big pill to swallow, it helps to foreshadow it a little bit, but at the yeah. same time, you could have just done this halfway through the movie instead of right either immediately or at right at the end, in the third act, you know? Like, there's an yeah. in-between. I do think it could have been an interesting movie and perhaps a more captivating movie if they didn't let you know right away that something was up. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they'd started with that first scene, which, you know, it's a great scene and doesn't give you too much to go off except, the, like, these two office guys, and then you don't see them for, like, another, like, hour or something, and then they start to come back in. Uh, I, th- I thought that would have been kind of cool because then you're thinking, like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, I wonder why they chose to do it this way. If it was to keep humor peppered in throughout and make it uh, a horror comedy through and through, because it could have gotten, you know, lighter on the comedy. Although Marty was a pretty good comedic character on his <laughs> own. Uh, yeah, I I liked it. I I loved that that Pop Tart line when he's talking about puppets all the time. And then he says Pop Tarts. Uh, that, 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 was, that was really good but I don't know uh, the whole uh, you know the, the the whole stereotype of like the guy who's like always smoking weed and stuff uh, I feel like that was so overdone in like the early 2000s late 90s and stuff that it felt a little bit repetitive here um, you didn't get that? well that was going to be my other explanation for maybe why they let us know right away that something more is up because a viewer could just be like what are we doing here? This is a super stereotypical horror movie. These characters are cardboard cutouts. Yeah. This is like a copy off of so many other movies. Why am I watching it? So it's possible you could lose people's attention if they didn't think there was something else afoot. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. You have these stereotypical characters. You got to have like some other storyline going to keep And you and I have, have seen this, you know? So we, yeah. we see these things and we're like, okay, they're telling you what's going on. But as a first time viewer, you may not be able to put it all together. You may not be like, Hey, there's some guys in a lab environment and a bird just flew into a force field. I know exactly what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. You still don't, you still can't piece it quite all together. You know, something's up. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think if they didn't have that, you would just think this is like a very generic movie from the start. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. That, that adds something along the way. Dude, um, and even though the weed, the, the like smoking weed guy is is a kind of a character trope that has gotten old, I really do think a lot of his lines were pretty funny. Like, oh yeah, they come up to the old gas station, and Chris Hemsworth is like, "Do you think this like pump takes credit card?" And he's like, "I don't think it knows about money." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had some good ones. But yeah, uh, there's various lines throughout that without reading all of them that I, I that got me chuckling. Sure. Even his whole like mug, uh oh yeah, he has a mug that like turns into a bong and uh what's his theory on like why he wouldn't he wouldn't get pulled over? A uh, cop isn't gonna pull me over because I have a mug or something or uh, I can't I can't remember. But also he goes yeah. on a rant on that road trip shortly after we learn that that bong is a mug that he thinks the world needs to like collapse and we're all just too chicken oh, shit yeah. to let it. So kind of, kind of foreshadowing. They foreshadow that, so that's not as big of a jump in logic at the end of like why the hell are these characters letting the world end? Right, right. They're kind of building up to it. Yeah. yeah. And I guess like the weed plays a role in terms of like his uh he keeps like his sanity a lot more than some of the other characters. So mm-hmm. they they do find a way to weave that into the plot pretty well. Right. I think they tried to like rig his weed or like 
it put something in his weed, but he had a secret stash that they didn't know about, and that's yep. what he's smoking. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, two things uh, that you know, I feel like got left on the floor. Um, the two-way mirror, that that glass, like where it's it's shown in in one of the rooms that uh, one of the rooms can look into the other room, and the other room it's like a mirror, um, a two-way mirror, right? That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, they never really take that anywhere, which I feel like that was a really good setup for you know a cool horror scene. I I do think you have a good point. They they didn't really come back to that, and also if people are watching from like cameras then i don't really know what the good of a two-way mirror is like no one's on site right they're all like at a lab underneath but maybe that's kind of an emergency type thing or a relic from an older time when they didn't have as much technology and they were still doing these kind of sacrifices yeah because they do make a reference at some point like remember in the old days when you could just throw a lady into a volcano or something like that (laughs) sure yeah so maybe it's a relic of older times okay I thought that was a cool scene thematically because it accomplished a lot through the mechanism of the two-way mirror. So it lets us know that something is up with this place that they're staying in. It shows us that this dude, uh, what's his name? Holden is a good guy, right? He chooses not to stand there and watch her undress. He he tells her. At, um, At some point, yeah. At some point, yeah. He's <laughs> wrestling with it, which lets yeah. us know he's interested in her. But that ultimately he's a good guy. And it lets us see their mutual attraction as they both get the opportunity to watch each other because then they switch rooms and she's seeing him. And then it takes that theme of voyeurism and lets it go another layer out. And this is when it's revealed that they are being watched through a camera. We don't know that they can see them until this moment in time. So... They take a shot of the two-way mirror, and then they back out even farther to let you know that it's a shot that they are, someone else is looking at on a screen. So it's kind of like a, a screen within a screen. And uh, I thought it was just cool commentary on voyeurism on horror in horror movies while still mm-hmm. advancing the plot and providing mm-hmm. more layers of the characters. Yeah, that was a good interpretation. That's cool. Um, did they, that whole, uh, romantic angle that they tried to build between those two characters, I, I don't think that ever went anywhere, right? Like they, I know like they're sitting on the couch at, together at some point, but like, does it like ever turn into anything or things get nuts before they have a chance to do anything? Yeah. I mean, they, the sparks are flying. There's some tension there and it's clear that there's a connection, but I think that he dies before anything can really happen. And that's one thing that this movie has some trouble with. There's so much that needs to go on in the back half of the movie and in the third act. And they, these people like have to kind of die that you don't really get a chance to develop characters as much as you would. Yeah, People drop from the film even faster than they would in a normal horror movie because you kind of have to have the normal horror movie condensed towards the first half of the movie so that you can have this whole big weird reveal in the second half of the movie. So, yeah, that romance doesn't go the places it needs to go, nor does that character of Holden get developed, like, at all. Right. Um, yeah. Outside of that, that part is a little, a little frustrating. And I think Dana, even, we don't really get to see her get that much, get fleshed out very much. We don't see her have much of a character arc, even. Yeah. I think character arcs are definitely limited in the whole film. It's really interesting with Dana because I, yeah, I think you start with uh, the idea that she's coming with some baggage because she just broke up with a professor or something and like right. coming out of a, b- a bad breakup. But yeah, that feel like it feels like it doesn't go anywhere. That romance uh, gets stalled. Um, I think one thing that uh, Marty calls out is that people aren't acting like themselves, right? Because like this gas is coming in and making Jules act crazy and. Um, her boyfriend like become like more of an alpha male type and marty's like calling out like hey that's not who they usually are but i feel like as the viewer like we haven't been given enough time with them to know that's like not their personality right yeah we don't really have enough of them to know for sure he says like why is kurt alpha male he's a sociology major on full academic scholarship <laughs> right we didn't get to know that firsthand yeah. from being with kurt we had to learn it from marty yeah i don't think you can it's just like a baked-in problem with this movie. I don't think there's a great way to solve it because then you'd make a two-hour and 15-minute movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, There's for just sure. a lot to pack into this movie. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do right. think there are those are flaws. They're, they're kind of like necessary evils. Yeah, 
Right, right. Yeah, and it, yeah. I just remember the second thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the gas is coming in, and supposedly we do see it having an effect on the decisions that Jules and Kurt are making, but we're not seeing it impact uh, the other characters, Marty, because of the secret stash, but Dana and Holden, they never explain why, like, they're still kind of, like, being so rational. Well, they pump in the gas to increase libido, I think, in the woods, right? Oh, it's in the woods. It's not in the cabin? I thought they did it in the woods while Jules mm. and Kurt were in the woods. Yeah, they definitely pumped out, like, pheromones in the woods. I, yeah. I just assumed, because uh, in the cabin, you're seeing, like, Jules kind of, like, get uh, wild and, and Kurt, like, act That different. was via her hair dye. Oh, yeah, the hair dye. Yeah. Okay. And Kurt, what was it? How did they get him? I don't know how they got Kurt. That's mm. a good question. Sociology Maybe it's book. in a deleted scene. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, well, yeah, what did you think overall uh, of this film? Like, didn't like? I love it. I think it's really fun. I think it's really clever. Uh, it does seem to get a little CGI heavy at certain points in the chaotic monster attack scenes, but it's still so cool, and I'm glad that they went there and gave us these shots that have, like, 40 monsters in them, like, doing a bunch of different stuff all at the same time and blood going everywhere. I think the dialogue's really clever and stays humorous. I think that Fran Kranz, who plays Marty, puts on a really great performance. Some of the lines he's given, they're funny lines, but he makes sure that they land. Like, they could have easily not landed quite the way that that was intended without his performance. Um... Oh man, there was a line. It sounds so simple, but it was really funny in the scene. I can't even remember what he says. He's like, she comes across a zombie and he's like, I had to dismember that guy with a trowel. What have you been up to? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a fairly basic line on the page, but I felt like he brought it to life in a really humorous way. And I think he did that multiple times. Uh, the comedy from the office environment was really funny. And it's just the commentary layer and the meta element make it really interesting. What about you? I have the only negative thing I have to say about it is the character development. Marty really feels like the character with the biggest arc, I would say, but none of them really have like a traditional character arc, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, if, especially as you think of who the main character is, I feel like we're led to believe it's Dana, but if you look at uh, dialogue-wise, it does seem like Marty probably gets more lines in the film. And... He also seems to like make the more impactful decisions and observations and stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, man, I, I like the same notes. Uh, you did, like, yeah, really smart writing, uh, awesome production value. I didn't mind the CGI so much because of, like, the chaos that they were trying to create. It wasn't so much about, like, really cool, like, individual effects, more just uh, this this havoc that's going down. Um, and, yeah, to me, the, the defining humor was, like, the office uh, environment and the the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy going on in the background uh, made for a really good time. Uh, and, and, you know, I thought it, it's one of those rare movies that's, like, horror comedy, but it's, like, effectively does both genres really well. Like, there's some great, like, brutality and, and scariness, and then uh, some great funniness, like, kind of balancing that out. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was really good, and the only shortcoming was characters uh, not being, like, as deep or as fleshed out. That is a great thing when a horror comedy can be legit scary and legit funny. Right, I, yeah. Yeah, that's rare, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I loved a scene, too, talking about the humor of the office environment where Kyoto fails. So, like, the little girls yeah. in the classroom figure out how to overwhelm the ghost. Yeah. And Richard Jenkins, who plays the citizen character, is pissed about it. And you see him watching these, like, schoolgirls on a screen and pointing to each one of these, like, nine-year-old girls and being like, fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, and fuck you. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was great I, I loved that that was awesome uh and and just the, the comedy of what was going on in kyoto like how they uh got the that that ghost to like were they like singing to it or something i can't yeah they were all like <laughs> yeah. holding hands and singing a song as the ghost yeah. burned in the middle or something yeah that was hilarious <laughs> yeah some, some great comedy embedded throughout it made it a lot of fun yeah agreed uh cool you want to jump to our rating then yeah let's do it 
Give me a scale, baby. All right. Well, I, I thought one of the funnier monsters in this was uh, a unicorn that's like murdering someone with its oh, uh, yeah. horn. So, yeah. How many murderous unicorns would you give this one? I give it 4.5 out of 5 murderous unicorns. I thought it's, it's a really great movie. Yeah. My only complaint, Dana feels kind of like a passenger instead of a driver. Right. But I think this movie packs in so much I'm willing to forgive that kind of stuff. So Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Four, four and a half as well. Um, and yeah, I agree about Dana. Hey, one uh, line that is said at the end, uh, I wanted to get your take on this. So you've got uh, the last line I think that Marty says is like, um, you know, when they make the decision, we're not going to kill ourselves, we're going to let the world end. He's like, it's too bad we won't get to see it. Uh, and that's, I think that's the last line of the movie. And then the hand comes out and the movie ends. Is that a commentary on like the viewers and like the audiences like need to like see destruction happen? And he's saying like, it's too bad. We're not going to give them that joy of being able to see it. Yeah. Maybe that is the final commentary on that topic, right? Like, yeah, even then I'd want to see it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Show me this. Yeah. Put, put a bunch of behind it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's almost like, yeah, we got to see so much in this film, but that's what led to like the big expense behind it and maybe the lower profitability. Yeah. How did you how did you feel like it held up on like a rewatch since like so much of this is like a shock value on the first watch? I think it still holds up really well, mostly just because the humor works and the scares. It's not like scary, but they're creepy looking monsters and stuff and the setting with the zombies in the woods and murdering jewels and kurt like that could exist in any horror movie and be played as straight up horror and be scary so right right i just think it functions really well and and there's enough going on and enough humor and witty dialogue honestly yeah marty is really the backbone of the story for me too he's likable to see him figure it out is fun and kind of stumble along the way too because he's also like high and being like wait is this all really happening or am i just like way too high like <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah it, it's like a f- it's a fun journey with himself yeah exactly it's such a fucked up thing to be happening to a group of people that to see yeah a character trying to figure it out while also high is kind of endlessly entertaining because <laughs> you could also yeah. like see yourself getting really high and being like this is what's happening right now and everyone else would be like you are an idiot that is yeah. not what's happening get some yeah. food and lie down like you know I'm, I'm surprised that that's like the character he gravitated towards the most uh just just because like yeah i feel like we've had a string of movies where you've had that foil character who's just like high and like commenting on things and uh yeah i don't know if like that type of character can really ever carry a film or like uh you know they always like kind of work as like a side character right but here, like, you're right, there was, like, a lot of weight put on him, and he was, like, kind of driving a lot of the narrative or, like, the viewer point of view at a lot of points. But, yeah, I, I'm just surprised that uh, you liked him so much. Well, here's a whole meta layer, too, that, like, our review of the film is, like, oh, Dan is kind of a passenger, and Marty's the one kind of driving things. And that's what fucks things up for the formula for the gods. Like, he was supposed to have died, and she's supposed to be the uh, last one surviving. They yeah. can't have the fool being this impactful. Like, right. they need him to know his place. And you and I are like, oh, you know, it's weird that he's the driver of the movie, yeah. but like, Shit. we are those old gods complaining. Yeah. We have yeah. That been guy was disturbed. Supposed to be yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Shit. Damn. The joke's on us, man. That's We're crazy. punching our little hands out of the ground in anger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Anything else to add or uh, should we wrap up? That's all I got. All right. Well, cool. So I'm glad we got to see that one again. Um, that's going to wrap up our discussion then on a cabin in the woods, the cabin in the woods. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple podcast. That'll help other people find our show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcasts at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where you can find us chatting with a few listeners and other horror fans. You can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com. Until next time, if you're watching me on your video surveillance, watching Brian through a two-way mirror, uh, don't expect me to have the same level of um, 
what would you call that? Modesty or uh, willpower? Willpower, yeah. <laughs> to block the view. I'm, I'm watching that whole show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. I got a flaunt. I may be disappointed, but I've got yeah. nothing to hide. <laughs>